Welcome back to Farm Talk. Definitely a Monday today. Cold. Temperatures in the single digits in uh, teens, other places. few even in the 20s, but this week still going to be a little bit mixed as far as the weather goes. And we're mid-March. We need to be turning this around. Uh, right now, we're going to remind you of some warmth. Commodity Classic uh, down in Orlando, Florida, wrapping up on Friday. The keynote speaker, of course, was USDA uh, Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, live and in person. We got a chance to uh, see it for ourselves. And uh, we thought there was a lot of news that was made out of that uh, press conference and uh, speech as well. So we're going to give you some of the uh, sights and sounds of Commodity Classic or coverage brought to you as a service by Kelmer Cornheads. Here is Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. It's an interesting time for us in agriculture and in this country. You know, the president uh, often talks about rebuilding the middle class of this country. Uh, he, he, he talks about bottom up and middle out, rebuilding the great middle class, because he believes, and I believe, and I suspect you do too, that one of the critical components of the success of America has been the fact that we've had a strong middle class. Folks who get up every single day, who work hard, play by the rules, uh, and have at their very core the desire to make sure that their children and grandchildren have a better future. It's uh, part of the secret sauce of our great country. And there's no greater representative of that middle class than Americans, farmers, ranchers, and producers, in my view. And this came to light recently uh, when I was looking at income uh, statistics that were reported to me uh, in the office of Secretary. Uh, and folks came in and they were kind of excited. They said, Mr. Secretary, uh, we want you to know the last two years have been the best two years in farm income in the history of the United States. And I thought to myself, gee, if I give speeches and I start with that, again, I should probably walk off the stage. Uh, to applause. But then I looked deeper into the numbers. And here's what I found. And here's why I'm here today. What I found was that in that record set of years, nearly 50% of our farmers, ranchers and producers, lost money. Another nearly 40% of those who work hard every single day made some money from their farm, but the majority of money that they made for their family, that supported their family, came from off-farm income. So nearly 90% of those who work hard every single day to produce this incredible bounty either didn't make money or didn't make the majority of the money that they made from farming during record income levels which meant that the top 10%, the folks who sell more than a million dollars of product every year, did very well. And about 40% of those folks are actually investment bankers, folks who own land. So I thought about this notion of bottom up and middle out. Uh, it seems to me uh, that we need to look at why that is so. Why in a record year, a few folks benefit but not many or most. And what's interesting is I went back and looked at the history of the Department of Agriculture, and I'm fortunate I have on my desk at, uh, back in Washington, D.C., a, a volume that was uh, 
the first report of the Commission of Agriculture after its first year of operation, after Abraham Lincoln established it in 1862, the commissioner, a fellow by the name of Isaac Newton, not the real Isaac Newton, but a different Isaac Newton, wrote a 632-page book about the activities of the department. And in that book, his first 25 pages is a preamble of his thoughts and theories and ideas about the department. And what he raised as concern was the consolidation of land ownership, suggesting that it was the consolidation of land ownership, it was the lack of a middle class in the great Roman Empire that ultimately led to the demise of that great Roman Empire. Fast forward and you think about the pivotal moments in our history of agriculture in the New Deal, the Dust Bowl, confronted with just tremendous grief and pain. We put together a program, started focusing on conservation, created uh, supply management, and for a period of time, farmers did pretty well. And then in the early 70s, Secretary Butts made the decision that it was appropriate and necessary for us to move away from that system to a more market-driven system, a focus on production. If you remember, he may have encouraged all of us to think about fence row to fence row. And so American farmers reacted and responded, and boy, did they do an amazing job. In my lifetime, the productivity of American farming has increased 17 times. It is a remarkable story of productivity. But the reality is that the more productive we became, the more expensive it was. And so it became necessary for folks to look at and to think about spreading the cost of that over a larger and larger base. And with that, we had larger and larger farms and fewer and fewer farmers. And it wasn't just the impact on the farmers, it was the impact on the communities where those farmers lived. Those small towns, because if there are fewer farmers, then there are fewer customers for that small town business on the main street. There are fewer kids in the school. There are fewer folks living in the community that can support a hospital and a number of docks. And so rural America, which is, I think, the heartbeat of this notion of a middle class, began to, to be challenged. So what do we do about this? Well, historically, the focus has been on trying to figure out ways to help farms, farmers stay in business. We look at ways to reduce inputs, for example. And we're doing that. We, we just recently announced, not long ago, a, a fertilizer initiative, understanding and appreciating the am amazing pressure farmers were under uh, with the Ukrainian circumstance and, and, and conflict and war, we saw a tremendous increase and spike in, in fertilizer costs, impacting affecting every agricultural product, uh, production system uh, in the country. So we announced uh, the notion of looking for ways where we could immediately identify programs and opportunities to increase production here in the U.S. and then a longer-term strategy. We divided a $500 million effort into two phases. Phase one was, what can you do now for 23 and 24 crop year, and what can you do long-term to make us more uh, self-reliant when it comes to inputs? And today we're announcing $29 million of grants to eight independent businesses that are located in the states of Alabama, Colorado, 
Massachusetts, Ohio, and Washington, where resources are going to be used to modernize equipment, to advance climate smart practices, to build production uh, operations and facilities, and to expand uh, the capacity of fertilizer production here in the United States. For example, Purcell Agritech, which is a, a facility located in Alabama, is going to uh, focus on increasing the productivity and production of controlled release fertilizer. Uh, they hope to be able to increase their supply by as much as 40,000 tons with the uh, small grant that we're providing. There's a facility in Missouri that's focused on um, um, a microbial fertilizer where they're producing about 8,000 gallons of that a week. Now they feel with the grant we're giving them they could increase to 120,000 gallons a week. There's another facility um, in Missouri as well that's constructing a new, new plant and with our grant, they're going to be able to accelerate the timeline to be able to impact and affect probably 24 crops. So we are in the process of trying to work and focus on reducing input costs. Uh, and our phase two portion of this effort, we received $3 billion in requests, 350 applications, over 47 states and two territories. So there's genuine interest in this, and we're going to continue to try to figure out ways in which we can provide support and help to reduce inputs. We focus on competition also as a way of addressing this issue of 90 percent and 10 percent. We've funded, uh, as of this week, 31 processing facilities for meat, poultry, and processed eggs, all parts of the country, more to come for sure. We issued a seed report this week because we understand and appreciate some of the challenges that farmers have with reference to seed and seed technology and the cost of seed. Uh, we established uh, a report, More and Better Choices for Farmers, uh, focusing on seed innovation and other inputs. And in that seed report, we took three actions. We've created a liaison between the Department of Agriculture and farmers and breeders so that you all will have input as Folks are interested in establishing patent protection, which oftentimes is designed initially to provide and to promote innovation, but can be used in a way to stifle it. Now, this liaison is going to make sure that farmer input, farmer concerns, farmer awareness is heightened as these applications for patents are reviewed. We've established a working group with the Patent Trade Office, and that working group is going to work with the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission to make sure that as patents are being considered, uh, that we look at the impact of them from a regional perspective. As you well know, uh, when you're purchasing seed, sometimes you're purchasing seed with multiple traits. Some of those traits are very important to your region, but oftentimes there are traits that aren't necessarily needed on your farm. It's sort of like your cable vision bill, where you're paying for 500 channels, 490 of which you'll never watch. The question is, why are we paying for the traits that we don't absolutely need? This Again, that is a, a speech, the uh, keynote speech from uh, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. Maybe another day we can uh, present more of that uh, speech, but uh, very well received by the uh, growers at Commodity Classic in Orlando, Florida. Our coverage in Orlando, Florida was brought to you as a service by Calmer Cornheads. Our North Dakota Corn Council segment is coming up next on Farm Talk.